Joshua chapter 2. Uh, but let's, start, let's go back to chapter 1 for a moment. And what I'd like to do for a couple minutes is just review with you where we've been the last couple weeks. <clears throat> and uh, we started, I think, just before New Year's Eve, we started that Sunday night uh, just talking about the book of Joshua. And I began this whole thought process of preparing for 2019 with just my personal attitude about the year and how I'm going to enter into it. And I think that one theme that God really spoke to my heart was just entering into the year from from a point of rest and not striving. And begin to think about this and I began to just meditate about Joshua and um, we hit a few points and and last week we hit we we just said we talked about three things number one we talked about people though they are free they can experience measures of slavery and bondage to things that God has defeated Uh, they may feel uh, slavery slavery to sin or addictions that were defeated at the cross the second thing that we talked about last week was that Jesus is our Joshua. Yeah. This is really important because when God speaks to Joshua, he is saying, be strong and courageous. And he's saying, go into the land, possess the whole land. And after I've given you the whole land, then you are to dispense it, divide it out, as we heard earlier, dispensing it out to the children of Israel. And that Joshua was not going to become the big king, the big Poncho, the big guy that would be running the whole nation, he was actually just leading the nation into possessing what God had already given them. And when God speaks to Joshua and says, um, be mindful that you, that you do not let the, word, the, the message of this law uh, depart from your mouth and that it would not depart from your meditation, who is God speaking to? He's speaking to Joshua. Joshua himself here in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Joshua here, when we read that in Greek, or when you have a Greek-speaking Hebrew, or a born-again Greek, or someone who receives Christ as their Savior, they go to where? They go to the synagogue. In the synagogue is a Greek New Testament, and that's what they're preaching from. Paul, when he travels through Europe, he'd go to the synagogue and preach, because he knew there was a Septuagint there. There was a Greek Bible. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, in some cases, is more faithful than Um, what we even have in the English. And so Paul would get this Greek New Testament. He'd read from book of Joshua. And what is the Greek reader reading when they read uh, Joshua chapter one? The word Joshua, and we said this last week, is actually the same word in the Greek as the word Jesus. So a Greek speaker is reading through the book of Joshua and they're saying, they're seeing, and God spoke to Jesus. And God said to Jesus this, and Jesus led the people of God into the promised land. And then Jesus led the armies. And and so this word, and this is, this is not a mistake, a language mistake. This is making a very important point. I think that many times we can, as Christians, look at Joshua and say, i got to be like Joshua. i got to take the land. Every place that the sole of my foot is placed is my land. And I've got to obey the whole book of the law. And I think that that is, that in somewhat is true in the sense that, that we in Jesus are conquerors. We are made more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But it really is, this is, being, this is being spoken to Joshua, who is our Jesus. And our job is, is to follow Joshua, to follow Christ, to be followers of Christ. In 
Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you what I want to make you, fishers of men. Is that clear? So Jesus is our Joshua. So when I read this, okay, go into the land, possess it. Uh, it me, Christian Moore, the, the, the genetics of achievement that are in my family for generations can read that and say, man, I got a lot of achieving to do <laughs> this year. So this year, I'm really going to, I'm, I'm really, as a personal theme of my life, I'm just going to be really focusing on the nature and being occupied on the nature of who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ is going to conquer. He's going to lead us into the land and he's going to, he's going to delegate to us or to disperse to us what me and my family is supposed to enjoy in the promised land that he has for me. Does that make sense? And so the third thing that we said last week is Jesus, like Joshua, gives us rest. He gives us rest. And this is the latter part of chapter, <clears throat> chapter one in the book of Joshua. And it says that I'm going to give you rest. Now, were the, were the Israelites on vacation? Were the Hebrews on vacation in the promised land? Were they just kicking back and enjoying the palm trees and loving life and saying, wow, you know, I'm so blessed. God is good all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know if, if, I can, if I can like perceive God being good all the time because of my, because of, of my perception. But you no, know, in the midst of the battle, when everything is just upside down, going haywire and going totally the opposite direction, when everything is getting real squirrely, I don't know if you know what that means, is a Yankee word, is it squirrely, when everything just starts kind of moving and you don't know where you're standing, there's a rest in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, that is for the people of God. And so when everything is going crazy, I got peace in my heart saying, you know something, God's got this. God's got this. And I can't, I can't explain what's going on. Maybe I, can't have, maybe I don't have all the answers as a husband for my family, or maybe as a wife I don't have all the answers as a mom to my kids. But I do have this peace in my heart that passes understanding, and I just live in that because Jesus is my Joshua, and he's going into the land, and he knows what's going on. God's speaking to him, and he's, he's fulfilling the covenant. And so we concluded last week that, the, that disobedience in Hebrews chapter 4 uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, is defined this way. Disobedient in the New Testament as a believer, as a New, Christ, as a New Testament Christian, disobedience is whenever I do not enter into that rest that Jesus has secured for me. Because here's what happened. I, just, and this, I, I want to get to Rahab in a second, but this is what happens, okay? Our struggle in our Christianity is not what we think it is. My struggle primarily is not with sin or failure or my weaknesses. That's not my primary struggle in my, in my life. Why? That was dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross. What God struggles with and what I struggle with are my strong points and what your strong points are. Does that make sense? Because here's what I mean by that. Here's how it works. If I look at opportunity and say, I got this. This is what I'm going to do. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, I'm putting my confidence in the flesh, and I don't even take a moment to hear from God about something because I'm so secure, I'm so confident in this. I have such a history of experience doing well in this. I feel good. I feel secure in this. Does that make sense? So, like, I come into a situation, and I really kind of feel like, hey, I got this. You know, my struggles over here, that's one thing. Um, that's... That's happening over there. But, you know, I kind of don't really need God in this moment. I'm actually not even thinking with God in this moment. 
And Christianity is, the whole thing about Christianity is learning how to think with God in the promised land. And so I, I, I got this. I, I'm living in my strength. I'm living my, in my ability, in, my, in, in, my, in, in the logical, um, quick, knee-jerk reflection of my thinking because I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing, right? Does that make sense so far? There are people that are so good at what they're doing that they don't even need to actually, actually like say, God, what do you think on this? And then full stop, pause, speak to me, God. This is what I'm ready to do. This is what I think I can do. This is what I think I should do. This is what I think I should say. Or oh, this is what I want to do. I've got this great opportunity. What do you think? And what happens is, is this is we default to our strength. Now, what happens is this. And I, it just kind of dawned on me as we were doing worship. And we were, when we were doing worship this morning. God was just speaking so much to me about so many things. It was just so cool. This is what happens is that we start functioning in our strength, the strengths of the area of, the, of our flesh. Our good flesh, our bad flesh, we just, even in our good flesh. And where we start functioning in that unconsciously. Now, what happens is, is that that's not good enough. It's just not good. We think it's good enough, but it's not good enough. And I think I'm hitting all of my, all of my goals and my points and my to-do list and my, all my task list. And I think I'm hitting all the points that I'm doing this good and I'm saying that good. And I'm saying praise the Lord. Or I'm supposed to say praise the Lord. I'm, you know, I'm giving the likes on Facebook when I'm supposed to do it. All of this stuff that I think is the right thing to do. But guess what? In life, in the plan of God, it's not enough. It's just not enough. You following me? It's just not enough. And what happens is, is that life comes at us or warfare comes at us and we're functioning in the energy of our flesh and we realize, oh my gosh, this is not good enough. Right? And what happens? Reality hits us in the face. Like I thought I was doing so good. And then my wife tells me, or my husband tells me, I don't have a husband, but I have a wife, and tells me, look, we're off in this. This is where we just, you know, or, or your boss comes to you and it's just like, and, and just tells you that you are an absolute failure. And you're, just, you're thinking, what? And you, life comes at us and we, and we find out that we're doing so good, but now we've got a diagnosis of this crazy disease and now I'm going to be dysfunctional for the rest of my life. Life comes at us, and because if we're functioning in the energy of our flesh and the wisdom of human natural opinion and what we think we should be doing and what we think we should be doing and, and my cultural background and my ethnic, ethnic uh, point of view of things, and what happens is it's not enough. And guess what happens? I'm found in a place of deficiency, and I realize it, and then that's when the crash happens, and that's when the crash happens, and guess what happens? is that I've been functioning under a law that of what I think should be, I should be doing. It has nothing to do with God's will. I don't know if you are. you following me? Am I, am I, let me just explain it like this. Somebody grows up in a family that's very, a certain, very, like maybe very strict, okay? And, and they're, 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 they're celebrated and when they're doing good, but when they're not doing good, they're not celebrated and they're not loved. I could be many different things. So they get out into life they go to college, they get married, and they're hitting their, you know, they're, they're ticking off all of the, 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 the bullet points of, of being a good kid or big, being a good person. And they realize they're struggling with loneliness. That loneliness cannot be, cannot be counseled because we're living in another law. And that loneliness cannot be counseled. What happens, something has to fill the void, and that void gets filled with drugs or something else, relationships or crazy living. And so what happens is that we're failing and we're not and we're and we're living under something that was just never God's intention. And so 
I know that that's kind of a side thought there, but I was just thinking about that this morning is that, is that the greatest struggle in our life is not with us, with our sin. Sin is just, sin is just the, the acting out of what we do when we just can't live up to our own laws. Does that make sense? It's like when I can't live up to that law that somebody else put the ghosts in the head from your parents or your grandparents to say, you got to do this, you got to do that. And it's in there so deep that you're living in this thing that you can't live up to. And then suddenly, suddenly you can't live up. And then there's that crash. There's that crash. There's that disappointment. There's that. Or maybe it could be your own laws in your own head. I got to be a certain way. And guess what? These are so deep rooted in the soul of a person that you and I can't even discern it. We got to have other people tell us. That's why don't ever get into a place in your life where you're so separated and so isolated from things from the body of Christ that nobody's speaking into your life. And I'm not talking about random mentors out there that just don't live in your state or in your place. I'm talking about someone that's face-to-face that's saying to you, look, I love you. I love you. Here's what's going on in your life. I want to talk to you about this. And not some control manipulation thing, but just someone that really loves you. And so at that moment is when we need the body. We need the body of Christ. And, And this is when we discover that God's not wrestling with my sin. That, that, that battle happened years ago. That happened at the cross. But what God is wrestling with is my strength and my own flesh. And this is what God was dealing with the children of Israel. You'll see at the end of chapter 1, crazy thing. Here's, here's God speaking to Joshua. Joshua said, this is what we're going to do. Chapter, 11, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 says this. He says, Pass through the host. He's saying this to a, a group of officers and command the people saying, prepare you victuals. I love that. Um, Kim said something to me this yesterday when we were on outreach. And um, I hope I get it right. But this is the point that I got was, is that when we pray, we pray once. We pray something once. We ask God for something. And then every time that, com- that need comes back to the forefront, we, instead of repeating a pagan prayer of just trying to, project that prayer into heaven because we think that God's asleep or something, we just thank God for the answer that, that he has heard us. We thank God that he's in the process of doing something. We thank God that um, he is moving. I remember my wife and I in the process of, before the whole process with Caleb began, uh, we really wanted to adopt. And it was just something that was really on our heart. It was something that was deep inside of us. We really wanted to bless a child and be a family. And uh, we were not able to do that. We were not able to have kids. And so what happened was, is that I remember at one point, it was like last year, and, I, and you know how Facebook just pops up, you know, your memories are important to us or whatever, like, yeah, I really believe that. Uh, and there's a picture there or there's a statement there that you wrote. And uh, I remember writing, I think it was like a year and a half ago, and it said, I actually posted on Help Us to Adopt Group. And I said that, it's so quiet, and the only, and I was sitting in my chair, I remember, just very quiet in my house, very clean, organized, everything was great and predictable. <laughs> and then I had this thought, nothing is happening with this. And I just thought, you know, I could, I could almost hear, and this is going to sound a little graphic, I mean, in a beautiful way, but I could hear the angel's wings rustling as they were about doing something, you know. And this was, this was around the time when Caleb was actually born. And I, I just remember thinking, you know, something. I don't see anything happening, but if I listen carefully, I can hear angels rustling around, doing the doing the Father's work, organizing things about something. And I just thought, God, I'm thanking you 
for the work you're doing, and I have no idea what's going to come out of it. Just one day I'm going to get a phone call out of the blue, and there's going to be this whole situation that's been prepared for us, and that's what's happened. And so prepare victuals. I just want to say to you today is that God's sending officers in the midst of us, in the body of Christ, and they're saying prepare because God is going to do something incredible. And he says in verse 11, for three, in three days you shall pass over. Three days. So they have three days to prepare. What does three days next to the Jordan remind you of? All of you Bible scholars out there. Jordan speaks of what? Jordan speaks of the death and the resurrection, right? Three days speaks about the... You know, all of you guys know this because a lot of you guys are in Bible school. But here's the three days of waiting. The, the, the trial, the crucifixion, the suffering, the death... And then on the third day was Jesus entering into resurrection and seated at the right hand of the Father in absolute victory. That's the three days. But what's happening these three days, and I promise to be done in a timely manner this this morning, what's happening in three days during this time? Joshua's got a plan. And I love how Joshua, let's skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun. And I was thinking, who's Nun? You ever, you ever do a study on who Nun is? Anybody ever do a study on that? Raise your hand. I know what a Nun is. Well, this is not a Nun. He was not, he was not a son of a Nun, because I hope not. But Joshua, the son of Nun. Do you know, does anybody know who Nun was? You ever do a study on that? Well, it's interesting, because, and I don't know how much I want to get into it tonight, today, but Nun is a very, I won't get into it, but Nun is a very interesting word, actually, in Egyptian culture, et cetera, et cetera. But Joshua sends two men secretly. Okay, I like this, secretly. Because the first time someone says spies into the promised land, it didn't go so well because it was very public. So this time Jesus, and there were only two men come back. So number two, two men was a good number for Joshua. Joshua's thinking, okay, I I need two, I only need two faith people to walk into. I don't need everybody's opinion about the will of God for my life and for the nation of Israel. So he sends in two men secretly from the place of Shittim. And what is Shittim? What is, this, what is this place? And why is it named that way? If you go back to Numbers 25 and read about what happened there, that's a very, that was a very bad place for, the Israel, for Israel. Because they were actually, Moses had brought Israel right to this place and they were there in Numbers 25, I believe it is. And what was happening there? The daughters of Moab come into the, the, the congregation of Israel and they start seducing the men. It was a real location of failure. Have you ever been in a place in your life being led by Jesus Christ and you find yourself in a place that you were, were before and that place for you was not a comfortable place because that was a place of just great failure for you? And you're like, I got some bad memories here. I got some bad memories here. But the whole scene is different. It's no longer the law. You trying to live up to the law. It's now Jesus Christ is leading your life. And so he sends these men from, the, the, from Shittim and says to the spies, go view the land, especially Jericho. Go check out Jericho. Okay, Jericho. Jericho is a very interesting place historically because people lived there and they didn't even build those walls. They had built some of them, but this was probably built on a location that had existed before. And they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. This is the first point. I want to make three points this morning. First point is this, is that God uses very insignificant, um, God uses the very insignificant to shame the wise and the strong. Next week, when we talk about the actual crossing of the Jordan, I want to tell you about how God was defeating the gods 
of the Canaanites, not just the, the people. And so, and not just the giants. So what happens? They march in, they walk into the city. There was a cool, there was a cool graphic earlier. I think when we were worshiping, there was the walls of Jericho. And I was like, wow, those are pretty big. And so these two men walk into this city. And picture this with me. Two men, strange men, walk through the gates of the city. There was only one way to go into the city. And there's this prostitute who's living in, in the wall, right? And so her, her little window, her little house is built into the wall, and it was right next to the gate. So she's looking out her window. She's doing business every day, and she's kind of seeing these two guys walk in, and she's wondering, wow, where are these, you know, these guys look a little lost, maybe some new clients. So I'm picturing this. It could be wrong. But she maybe calls out to them. I don't know. I'm just kind of adding some, some possibilities to it. And, and so these two men, they walk in and they see this woman up in, the, up in the window. And she's calling out to them, guys, what are you doing here? What's going on? And so these guys go up to her, up to her house or her apartment and they begin to tell her what's going on. And so they walk up and they go in there and they lodge there. And so they begin to talk to her about what God is going to do. Now, what is the, Rahab is an incredible person here. In her business, secrets were important. So I think that these two guys knew this. We can talk to her. She can keep secrets. And so, um, and so in verse 2, somehow the word gets out to the king of Jericho. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to church out the land, in verse 2. And in verse 3, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house. For they have come out to search the land. But the woman had taken the two men in verse 4 and hidden them. And she said, true. And here is Rahab lying. She is actually telling a lie. <laughs> lying to the king. The two men had, uh, the two men had, um, the two men, true, the men had come, came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse 5. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. And these were not just like pieces of hay. The flax there in Jericho, I mean, everything in the promised land was huge and mega. So these were like large pieces of like, you know, you know just like uh, this wooden kind of um, material. And she's there up in the flax and she laid uh, that she had she had put in order on the roof. In verse 7, the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. How did she know that? And she tells him later on, before the men lay down, she came up to them in verse 8 on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She tells these guys, go into the hills for three days. It sounds like she's done this before. It sounds like that there was a guy or guys in her place or that people were looking for, maybe even spouses, and they told them, get, get out of here, there's three. And I know, I know these, how these guys, they'll only go out for three days, and then, and then they're going to come back. And so she has this experience. And so she says to them, and this is the amazing testimony of one person in a very wicked city, and she says, she said, before the men lay down, she came up to them in verse 8 upon the roof, and she said to them in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know it. I just know that God has done this. I know it. Here's a prostitute. Here's a person. We don't even see that she's married. She has a family here. And she says, I know that God has given you the land. 
and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land, I mean the promised land, it's the talk of the country, it's on the front page of the news, that, um, that the, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Big words here and very important words for these two spies, these two men. This is what's happening, is that Jesus Christ has led us to where we are today. And we don't know this and we don't hear this, but demonic principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places are talking about you. Yes, the Sokuk family. Yes, the Lions family. Demons and, and Satan are talking about you and your family. What about me? About the Silva family? Uh, about, about the Woods family? Yes, there's a conversation going on in hell about your lives walking by faith. And guess what? Satan is not happy about you and your decisions that you're making in your life that are breaking generational curses. Yes. And, and, and because we don't know about it and because we don't hear it, we don't think, oh, we're nothing. And what I do, my, my, bad, my bad decisions don't mean anything. No, there's a conversation. And we see this with the Apostle Paul. Um, and, and the sons of Sceva, that these demons say to the Apostle Paul, Paul, we know you. And the Greek word there is we've, we've had full body contact with you. We just don't know genosco about you, but we epigenosco know you, meaning that we, have, we know who Paul is and we, we, we have had, um, in, we've had, we've had um, direct contact. And so today, in the land that you are going forward into the, to possess, it may look like, may, it may look like massive walls, Giant people, nobody, I mean, we're such a small army and we have such a disadvantage. But guess what? The, the, the demons and Satan and the whole satanic world is melting away because of the church's victory in Jesus Christ. When the Bible says that the gates of hell will not, have, will not be able to prevail against you, it's not a great translation. It should say that the gates of hell will have no defense. We get this impression that we're marching into some land and some area of our life or some neighborhood or, or new thing that we're doing that we, have, that we are just at a disadvantage. It's not that way. If, you, if God could pull away the, the curtain, the material curtain, you would see some, some incredible things. You would understand who you are in Christ. And you would understand that, that wherever you go, wherever God is leading you and your family into whatever is happening... God has given you that land already. That is your land. It's Romans chapter 5 that we, uh, that we reign in this life through the gift of righteousness and grace. These two things, we are righteous and the gift of grace. That God is going to work in our life in a way that we don't deserve. So let's stop trying to qualify to be a great Christian, to be a great person, to go to 1,200 different um, programs to, under, to be a better husband or whatever it is, whatever whatever that we're trying to struggle with. And so, the whole, isn't that amazing? That demons are worried about you coming into town. <laughs> you know, they, I remember, I'm nothing, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I remember when we came here to visit the Lions the first time in September 2015, we, drove, we, we flew home, and I just knew this was God's will to come here. I just knew it. And so, I remember two days later on my bike, I was riding, and I had this crazy, crazy accident. And I smashed my collarbone into four different places. 
I was like, that never, ever, nothing like that ever happened to me before. I was, I was laid up for six months, uh, and I just thought, wow, that was just satanic. The devil wants to intimidate you and I from going forward in his plan, in God's plan. Amen. And so we have heard, and, and it says here in verse 10, it says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt. So as this is happening, 40 years before, the, the inhabitants of the land are hearing about what God is doing for the Israelites. What God is doing in your life today, you may not even be even close to where God is bringing you uh, geographically or in your life in a certain place, but demons are already in, informed about the success of God working in your life. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Let's like look at that through that way. And let's be strong and very courageous. And it says here that, um, that who, and what you did to the two giant kings of the Amorites, the Sihon and Og, and, you de- and how you devoted to destruction. Nobody could defeat those two big kings. They were, they were massive on the other side of the Jordan. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No spirit left. There was no inspiration, no oomph. There was nothing. People were discouraged, and they're hiding behind these walls. And, and um, uh, because of you and the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens. And this is when Rahab, I think, at this moment, makes a decision to believe on the God of Israel. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. There is so much meaning to that in the heavens and on the earth. There's so much meaning to that in that culture at that time for what she said. And then verse, and so verse 12, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign, a sign, what a sign, that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all that who belong to them and, and, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her in verse 14, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours that when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Joshua chapter 11, we read, we read this cool little statement. And Rahab and her whole family were living amongst the Israelites. This was a big family, by the way. Brothers, mothers, mothers, sisters. Um, it was a massive. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Joshua chapter 11, I believe it is. That the whole family of Rahab, Gentiles, you know, like prostitutes, when, you know, prostitutes in that culture, they looked a certain way. And she's like walking around the midst of the Israelites. They're really kind of looking at it like, that's, we don't know how to, that's, that's something else. That's, that's pretty interesting. That's amazing. You know, and God saved her. And guess what? God is, God is using very insignificant and things that this world rejects in the religious world to deliver amazing things over to the people of God. And so, and the second point is that there's a scarlet thread that throughout the Bible symbolizing the blood of Christ and deliverance. I want to talk about deliverance. I think we could spend a whole series on how God delivers us. And I know that there's deliverance ministries out there, and sometimes they're mocked, but I think that they're saying something that's important, that is a biblical truth that we should not omit, that God not only saves us, but he wants to deliver us from the experience of the lie that we're living in, the addictions. And so, and, and let's look at verse 15. I'm going to read these through uh, quickly. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, and her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills. And we, we talked about this. Go three, go three days, wait there, and then go your way. And then the men said to her in verse 17, we will be, be guiltless with respect to this oath of ours 
that you have made us to swear. Um, behold, and this is important, when you come into the land, tie the scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father, mother, brothers, and all that's in your father's household. And this is important in verse 19, and I want us to look at this for a second. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be upon your, your head. Jericho is a picture of the world, the world that is under impending judgment, and in many ways is under judgment. There, um, STDs now, the sexually transmitted diseases, are the worst they have ever been. It is just on this incredible rampage of, of, of just a revival. It's like a plague. They're, they're, they're in the world. Uh, this world is under impending judgment. It is already under uh, a curse. And I think that when we get saved and we come into the household of faith, that God does not want us out in the street. And I mean by this that uh, let's make sure that we are not making decisions to, uh, and I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm just talking about our experience and consequences of decisions. Let's not uh, put ourselves in a place where we are not in, the, where we are just uh, out of the will of God geographically, and we're getting involved with something that is just a just the lie of the world. Because you know something, there is death out there. Um, I could be a believer. I could be a Christian making bad decisions, and I find myself in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I find my, and I find myself. Um, in a very in a very difficult place. I remember there was a girl in our Bible school years ago. She was very quiet. She was very um, very very nice. And then one day, um, she just threw just through her just she just she was she was single and she just said she did just said forget it. I'm just going to go out into the world. I'm going to live it up. And this doesn't always happen this way, but it's just sobered all of us. She went to a bar one night met a guy, and then got AIDS that night, and she died of AIDS. I think about that story, that one night of being in the wrong place at the wrong time can, can end in our death. Am I saying that God can deliver you and heal a person and protect you? Yes, I am. But let's not make ourselves, let's not make a provision for the flesh. Let's not make a provision for the world, because we could be in that situation, and we find ourselves uh, under experience. We are in the street when we're supposed to be in the house. And we're, we're experiencing the judgment of God when we're supposed to be being um, delivered um, into God's plan. And so, and so um, they make this decision. And so <clears throat> number three, the last point here is that in verse 22, um, the walls in the cities may look very intimidating, but look for, for, look for Rahab's word of faith. And I want to finish with this. When you and I are in, in Jericho, and it looks crazy, we walk into the gates and it's a mess. It's just like very loud and there's no, it doesn't seem like God is even there. And it's, at, it's just total chaos. Um, what, what are we looking for? We are looking for that one person. We're looking for that one testimony of faith, which says, I know that your God lives and that he is the God. And that this God, your God, is going to deliver uh, this land over to, your, to the Israelites. Look for that person that's speaking faith. When you're in a confusing situation, look for that person that's speaking faith. In that it doesn't matter who they are or what their story is. Begin to listen to, look for that person, because guess what happened? That person's confession is going to deliver the, the promised land, that circumstance, over to you uh, because of their faith in God. Let's read this here. They departed into the hills and remained three days until the pursuers returned. 
and the pursuers searched all the way and found nothing. The two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, listen to these words, and this is how the chapter ends. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Do you know something? If you don't get discouraged and you look for that word of faith, and guess where you're going to find that word of faith? It's going to be here. It's going to be in this body. It's going to be at Thursday night house church. It's going to be on the phone in prayer with another brother or sister. It's going to be on Saturday mornings on outreach if you can make it. It's going to be that word of faith drawn near. That word of faith is going to encourage us. It's going to build us up. And it's going to remind us that the inhabitants of the land are the, the demonic principalities and powers are melting away. And does the, does the devil come after you? Yeah, the walls look real and the giants look real. But all we need to do is step into that place. And when we step into that place with Jesus, our Joshua, then that is our land. It is Jesus's land. So I would just say as a practical conclusion to this, to this message, draw near to Jesus. Uh, he is near to you already. Rest in what he's already done. Don't default to your strengths when there's a battle to be, to be battled. Default to your weakness and dependence on Jesus Christ. Just say, you know what? I could be very strong in this situation. I could do this and this and this, but I'm not going to default to the energy of the flesh. I'm going to trust God. By the way, give people grace. People, we're growing. All of us are growing. Everybody's growing. Uh, you know, like, let's just be kind to one another, um, building each other up. Can I just say that? I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's, maybe it's January or whatever, but just everybody has zero patience for anybody, and I just see that everywhere I go. Just give people grace. Just love on people. There's a process going on in their life. Let's just not put people under a law that, that like, you know, because my strength is going to become a law for somebody else. And I have to be careful of that because if my strength becomes a law for somebody else and I'm living in my strength in that relationship, guess what happens? That person's going to just pat, that person's going to be, just be quenched and, and they're going to be stifled. Live in, just live in grace, live in patience, live in prayer. Be prayerful about your relationships and be quick to be merciful, be quick to be gracious. Because you know what? If we don't do that, then. Remember the law of liberty in James, the book of James, that what we give is what we're going to receive. And I hope all of these things that I said this morning, there's a lot of different points that I made, kind of just a hodgepodge of ideas and principles. But I just hope some of them um, are going to minister to you this week and build you up. Amen. I, I'm looking at 2019, and I'm just seeing one thing. I'm resting in who Jesus Christ is. I'm not going to live under some kind of law of what I think things should be. And I'm going to let Jesus, our Joshua, my Joshua, lead me into, uh, into victory this year. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to just live in rest, and I'm going to live in, and, and I think I'm going to be a lot more sane that way. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God.